Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on April 5th, 2021. I gotta say, Aaron, it, it made me a little crazy week before last when we recorded our show where you and I were wondering once again about Black Widow, and 12 hours later, Disney announced that they were, were moving it yet again. And Oh, I figured that out, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought they were doing phone repair. Turns out it was Kevin Feige sitting on a telephone pole, uh, peeping in the studio with binoculars. As soon as we get done recording his show, he clicks on his walkie-talkie and goes, release the news. <laughs> kind of like release the hounds, but different. But I do want to point out here that once again, you know, you were the winner of Battleship here because you were the one who basically said, hey, it's going to be released to theaters and this is going to show up on Disney Plus. And you basically got it and won. Yeah, but I also said they weren't going to move the date. So if you make enough guesses, eventually one of them is going to stick. It's like I bet on red and black and green. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But at least today we got it right. Because at 10 a.m. today, the trailer for the new Loki limited series for Disney Plus dropped. And got to ask you, what'd you think? I was so impressed with the trailer. I'm anxious to get Falcon and the Winter Soldier out of the way just so I can dive into some Loki shenanigans. Mm -hmm. And I'm also in love with the fact that Owen Wilson is playing Mobius in the series. And to celebrate, Mm -hmm. every time Jim says the secret password of, the interesting thing is, I'm going to play a clip of Owen Wilson going, wow. (laughs) Well, I must exercise a teeny bit of self-control. But I, I have to admit, as well, I, I was very impressed with what I saw. And yes, it's one of those things, I have to wait till June 11th? Ah, dang. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that they released the trailer like a couple weeks too soon because like, I was really getting into uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier like a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the trailer dropped and I was like, Falcon and Winter who? <laughs> I want to I talk to Loki for a red hot minute. That looks awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's only because they've got the wibbly wobbly timey wimey mm-hmm. is, is what's drawing me to it at this moment. And I don't expect that from Falcon and Winter Soldier. I expect that to stay, you know, earthbound and in in its own timeline. And I'm, I want the excitement and interesting stuff of the time travel from Loki. Okay. Just sort of tease something we'll be talking about on the second half of the show, but with chatting with a friend at Marvel Studios and there's a possibility that Loki, thanks to this Time Variance Association or whatever, it, it, Owen Wilson's organization, this may actually be finally the Marvel limited series that does in fact hook up with a movie. But we'll talk about that in the second half of the show today. And before we dive into the news portion of the show, news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Also, because this past weekend was the Easter weekend and you know people had family obligations and that sort of thing, I'm going to assume that there are people who have yet to see episode three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And to which I have to say, shame on you. Get your priorities straight. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't get around to it till Saturday. And in fact, lovely Sharon Hoodlum's mom reached out, I want to say on Friday afternoon and, and was asking questions. And it was one of these things like, no, 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 don't spoil it for me. So assuming there are people who have not seen episode three, which was uh, subtitled The Power Broker, we're going to hold off till the second half of the show before Aaron and I talk about that. Okay, so diving into the news of the day, and, and literally some of this stuff is just 24 hours old. Did you see that Chadrick Bozeman won a posthumous SAG Award last night for Best Actor for his work in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I did not see it, but I am not surprised by it. There were those who were saying that this bodes very well for the exact same thing happening for Bozeman when the 93 Academy Awards I'll roll around, by the way, that's Sunday, April 25th. But the thinking is now that it's quite possible that he'll take home a posthumous Oscar for also for his work in Randy's Black Bottom. Ryan Coogler, the writer-director of, of The Black Panther, also readying Black Panther 2 right now, which, by the way, did you see the release date on that? That's July 22nd, 2022. So... Panther 2 is dropping on the 22nd day of July in 2022. Somebody's really got a thing for twos at Marvel Studios. I wonder if their marketing department will pick up on that gimmick. <laughs> Gee, I hope it shows up on a poster somewhere. <laughs> anyway, Ryan uh, took this opportunity. What was the posthumous recognition that Chadwick's getting to reminisce about his friend? This is from an interview with Hollywood Reporter, and when talking about the original Black Panther, said that was his movie. Chad was hired to play that role before anyone else was even thought of. Uh, he, he was on the film before I was hired, before he, any of the actresses were hired. Ryan also talked about what it was like to work with Chad on the set of the film. And what was interesting, he just wow. talked about Chadwick. It was all about everybody else on the set. Even given what he was going through and now know about the, the stage three colon cancer, he was checking in on all the other actors, making sure they were good. You understand the concept of coverage, you know, when you're you're shooting a scene and you're literally shooting over somebody's shoulder to get a close-up with somebody else. The thing is that Bozeman would never do the star trip. He'd, he'd stick around and all read lines for people off camera to help the other actors. Also, this is where Kugler first really talks about the stage three cancer. And he says... I didn't know what was going on. I knew what uh, Bozeman wanted me to know. Also, he talked about what it's like to be working on Black Panther 2 now that Chadwick is gone. And Ryan said, look, it's difficult, but you got to keep going when you lose loved ones. I know that Chadwick wouldn't want us to stop. I, I can feel him yelling at me like, hey, what are you doing? So you have to keep going. Do you and your bride watch Bridgerton on Netflix? No, but we're aware of its brouhaha that mm. it has created. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, same thing here. Nancy and I have not watched it yet, but Nancy is going to be having back surgery later this month and going to be out of commission for a number of months while she's healing. So we have a lot of stuff, you know, sort of in the pile to binge the crown and, and Bridgerton is there in the pile. An actor on the show, Reg Jean Page, who plays the Duke of Hastings, uh, who evidently is the heartthrob of the show. And just recently, fans of the show had their heart broken because they're going to start shooting the second season of the show in a couple of weeks. And evidently, Reg is not coming back. Uh, the Duke of Hastings character is not going to be featured on season two. And How's your heart going to throb now, see? I... 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, now, where this gets interesting is as far back as January, there were rumors that Reg was basically the number one with a bullet, so to speak, for the new Black Panther. That, you know, remember Feige said that they're never going to replace Chadwick, that they're going to explain what happened to T'Challa. But in the, the comic book, tradition that, you know, another character can come along and assume a role. That's where this gets interesting because with season two of Bridgerton starting up in a couple of weeks, the speculation is the reason that Reg had to step away from the show is that if he is in fact going to be doing Black Panther 2, he would be unavailable if he were working on this Netflix series. So the way it's been explained to me that if this actually goes forward, both Disney and Marvel have decided out of respect to Bozeman's family, and because it looks like you know Chadwick could take home this posthumous Oscar for uh, his work in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that they're going to hold off on any announcement or, or to that effect till after award season is over. So I guess we're going to have to wait till late April, early May to see if this rumor pans out. So are what are they tap dancing around the idea that they won't recast T'Challa? Mm-hmm. But they will replace the Black Panther with a different named character, like Jeff. You know. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it'll be Jeff. But, but no, he, prob- uh, probably not. But I mean, if, if this guy comes in, mm-hmm. I mean, he's either a villain, which I doubt is the case, mm-hmm. or the, he's going to take over the mantle. Mm-hmm. Is that the thing that they're trying to tap dance around and not going to say until after award season is... Uh, technically, we're we're telling the truth by not replacing T'Challa. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, remember early on there was all this talk of Shuri, so to speak, and the weird thing with Marvel these days, especially given how screwed up the release schedule has been through the pandemic, and and now, of course, all of the excitement because the Marvel limited series have been embraced so enthusiastically, and this is suddenly an exciting new venue where. You're not locked into a two-hour runtime. You can do six hours and tell a story. Anyway, uh, speaking of casting, did you see the news coming out of WonderCon at Home weekend before last about Marvel's MODOK? They have found their Tony Stark and Iron Man. Yes, and we cannot have enough John Hamm in this world, so please, may I have another slice of that juicy, juicy rump? Well, you know, just I, I love that if you think about the amount of recreational drinking that Ham did <laughs> as his character on Mad Men. Yeah, he does fit, right? Sure, yeah. It's like, oh my God, this is the perfect guy for Tony Stark. But we also have to understand that Modoc is really more of a domestic comedy than a Marvel comic book adventure. And so we have to assume that Iron Man... Tony Stark isn't necessarily going to be front and center in every episode, but but I love this casting. I love this idea and can't wait for when it it begins to air on Hulu on Friday, May 21st. And and speaking of Hulu, are you familiar with the show that airs on on Hulu, Pen15? Which, by the way, when you spell, write it out, spells something different. I've never called it Pen15. I've mm-hmm. called it something else for the obvious reason that you just stated. Yeah, uh, wait, go. And, uh, yeah so I'm, I'm aware of, but don't watch okay. that show. All right. Well, there is an actor, Dallas Liu, on the show who, back on March 31st, got cast 
for an unnamed as of yet role in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is kind of unusual news, given that for all intents and purposes, Shang-Chi and the Ten Legends supposedly wrapped up production in November of last year. If you recall, they started shooting at Fox Studios Australia back in February of last year. They were forced to pause production because of the pandemic in March. The cast and the crew returns to Sydney to return uh, resume production. That's August, and then over a three-month-long period, CBU Luth, who plays the title character in Shang-Chi, described as 13-odd weeks where we made on-set safety an absolute priority. And this is just a scary stat. Between the cast and the crew, that translated into 40,000 COVID tests without a single positive, so... Congratulations, good job on the logistics planning of that one. That many swabs, and who was it that... I don't even want to think about it. So anyway, on November 15th, director Destin Crichton hops on Instagram and just puts up this three-word message. We are done. Famous last words. Yeah. uh, so, So again, we have this March 31st story from Deadline. That Dallas has been cast in a very tightly kept under wraps role. So that suggests that reshoots are underway for this Marvel Studios production, which... I don't know. I I think uh, Zack Snyder has taken over. (laughs) They got an extra $30 million from Marvel somehow, and they're doing the Snyder cut of everything. I still haven't seen that. I just... I I need to be in the right headspace for the four-hour-long experience, but... It's broken up into chapters, so you can do it day by day for, you know, an hour here, an hour there, whatever. So, yeah, if you if you want to bust it into pieces, mm-hmm. bite-sized pieces, you, you can do that. Okay. But, again, this is not a reason for alarm. Marvel does this all the time. They typically build two weeks into the schedule for reshoots, that sort of thing. And the fact that Shang-Chi's release date is, has been pushed back this September 3rd of this year, That gives Marvel Studios more time to tweak their very first film built around an Asian superhero, which you have to, I mean, forgive me for bringing ugly realities into this situation, but given the recent spike in Asian hate crimes, you have to assume at Disney that Shang-Chi has suddenly become a much higher priority, you know, to the effect of we have to get this right. Yeah, I don't see them sitting, you know, like after they were done shooting Mm -hmm. and now they're in the editing process. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine anyone looking at the film, no matter how great it is, Mm -hmm. and looking at the film today inside of Marvel and Disney going, it's absolutely flawless. There is no way possible to improve on this. Mm -hmm. Nobody thinks like that. They're looking at it under the most obscene microscope going, What's the little detail we're not seeing that's going to break it? And how do we fix it before it gets out? We've got X number of months. Come on, guys, look at it. Mm -hmm. What are we missing? And there's, you know, a hundred different sets of eyeballs looking at it hypercritically, and they're all throwing in stupid ideas. Mm -hmm. So they've got the time. They're going to look at it critically up until it's it's released. And you're right. It is very important to them because it is built around their first Asian superhero. So Mm -hmm. they they want to represent it accurately and authentically mm-hmm. and not fall into something that l- is perceived as a stereotype. I do remember one instance of an artist mm-hmm. who ha- had to draw, and this is back in ye olden day when you didn't have black folk in comics very often, mm-hmm. but he had to draw a black person 
and he wanted to use his friend as a model. And he said, I don't want it to look stereotypical. Mm -hmm. And the guy said, just draw what you see. Mm -hmm. And it can't be stereotypical. If I have a larger nose, that's because I have a larger nose. I'm not ashamed of that. It's not a thing that haunts me. Mm. It's who I am. So I think that they have to just look for authenticity. Mm -hmm. And as long as that, you know, if if the spirit's true, Mm -hmm. we're willing to forget a lot of like story mistakes or, you know, things that don't quite add up story-wise that you'd be hypercritical of later on because you just love the story. Sort of the difference between... The DC and the Marvel comics. And I think the fact that Marvel would take the news of the day, what was going on in the real world, and and fold that into the comics. You know, they would oh, make- and that's so apparent in Falcon and Winter Soldier, which we'll hit on later. Yep. But yep. yeah, that's exactly the, the point is they have to address things. And I'm glad be- that because we get the six-hour format for Falcon and Winter Soldier, we get to touch on that aspect that we'll discuss on the back half of the the second half of the show today and speaking of which we're going to talk further about other marvel studios productions that may be making last minute tweaks and doing reshoots after this commercial break this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We were just talking earlier about Black Widow getting its release date pushed back to July 9th, which in turn, because that moved from May to July, Shang-Chi got pushed out to September 3rd. Did you see, however, while that was going on, that Sony also moved Let There Be Carnage? What were they moving it closer or further away to or from? Because Shang-Chi moved to a September 3rd date. On March 30th, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, was shifted to a September 24th date. And what was interesting about that is the week prior... They had announced that the movie uh, was going to be opening on September 17th. And then the news broke about Shang-Chi moving to the third. And evidently the folks at Sony were kind of looking at that and realizing that given the typical Marvel pattern, um, their films hold very strongly for about three weekends, which meant that the weekend that Venom Let There Be Carnage came into theaters, if it stayed with that 17th date, it would be competing with Shang-Chi for Marvel fans. So it's like, ugh. So they literally moved it that one more week so Shang-Chi would have its three weeks of, of unadulterated Marvel fans. And then on the 24th of September, Venom Let There Be Carnage drops with the hope that, okay, Shang-Chi is, it has gotten its, its, its market share. It's our turn. And also talking with the folks at Sony, also, when the original Venom came out in October, and they kind of sold it as kind of a, a horror film, mm-hmm. uh, kind of try to capture that it's October, I should go see a horror film audience. So the 24th puts you within spitting distance of... You they know, should have uh, just moved it back a couple extra weeks and, and put it smack in, in Halloween week. And been done with it. Was there something blocking Halloween that's better? I'll have to check on that. I know that 2021 has gotten 
complicated because of so many films announcing release dates and then shifting their dates and, you know, studios scrambling to fill holes. So I'll take a, a closer look at October and see if there's anything going on there. And speaking of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, just today, there's a publicist for British heavyweight boxer turned actor, Larry War Machine Olubamiwu. And this publicist put out a news today that Larry has recently finished filming Venom 2, which will be released later this year, which is kind of confusing because supposedly Venom wrapped production back in February. So when Obi-Bami Wu's publicist says recently, did, what does that mean, last month, last week, with these reshoots or new scenes? And it's, for the, it's for the Snyder cut of Venom 2, by the way. And just... <laughs> The guy moves, he shoots really, really quick, cuts really fast, moves on to the next project, lick me spit like a rabbit. Does he ever get out of the editing room? I, I picture him very, very pasty white at this point, if he's just always in there cutting extended version of all these films. No, he, he makes movies like a Catholic rabbit makes babies, that just <laughs> rapidly and with abundance. Oh. Okay, remember, those complaint <laughs> letters go to Aaron Adam. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> Happy Easter. All right. Uh, we should also notice, we, we were just mentioning Venom rap production. Spider-Man No Way Home, supposedly rap production, weekend before last, uh, March 26th. On the other hand, and I am hesitant to bring this story up because I know what Aaron is going to say already. But seriously, folks, this story broke earlier today. There is a gentleman called Roger Perra. And he is somebody who has previously dubbed Tobey Maguire's performances on film. He's the guy you go to when you're crafting a Tobey Maguire film to be done in Spanish. And Roger Parra just revealed that he's just been hired by Sony Pictures to come work on Spider-Man No Way Home. Which supposedly, according to the way the internet is losing its mind today, adds further credence to the rumor that Tobey Maguire's version of Spidey will be showing up in No Way Home. So, Aaron, take it away. Mm. I want to know, has anyone on planet Earth seen Tobey Maguire lately? He has had a voiceover credit from 2017, mm -hmm. and his last physical appearance on screen was in 2014, playing chess genius Bobby Fischer in Pawn Sacrifice. So that's... Seven years mm -hmm. since he's been filmed for for film. Mm -hmm. uh, for all I know, the only red suit he could fit into right now could be a Santa suit. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and nobody's seen him. I mean, you know, blink three times if you're okay, Toby. What's going on? <sighs> Is someone taking him hostage? He's just not been a boot lately. Yeah, and I don't know if Spider Man three. No Way Home is going to be the next thing to pop up on his IMDb page in a couple of months, but I still doubt it highly. Okay. All I can say at this point is there was plenty of speculation about this guy will no longer have a job because he said this out ahead of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. So... I would imagine that because there is also the idea floated in this whole hypothetical that mm -hmm. as a result, and, and I'm just going to go with the assumption that it's not going to be the whole plot. It's going to be like a cameo. Mm -hmm. If Andrew Garfield and Tommy McGuire are in this movie, mm -hmm. it's for a minute or so, not 
like a half hour or more. But beyond that, Jim, is the idea that at the end of the movie, like maybe in the in the mid credit scene or whatever, mm-hmm. they will have enough villains to tease a Sinister Six for the next movie through Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, past villains that have worked well on screen. Mm-hmm. If they're going to go that route, if they're going to bring in those characters, they're going to get rid of Andrew and Toby and leave our current hero, Spider-Man, to face all of those villains in a Sinister Six all by himself. Because you can't have Toby and Andrew tag along oh, no, for the no, ride no. I get that, that right? I get that. But what you just described, I would buy a ticket for now. Sure. And that's what that's the plan. So I think it's going to work. I just I, I still have doubts. But go ahead. Moving okay. on. Just, well, just one other thing that when they finish production, they traditionally give the crew a gift. And in this case, it was a number of gifts. And there was an image of the sort of gift bag online uh, that showed up a week or so ago. The online community, because you know, they're like the people who have examined the Zapruder film. They're always looking for the, the gunman up on the grassy gnome. They were looking at the T-shirt that was given in the gift bag, and it's like, oh, look, that's the design from the Andrew Garfield version of the Spider-Man suit. And it was just, just at this point, I guess I don't have a well-developed enough eye for these sorts of things, but I was looking at it, and it's like, if I bring that up to Aaron, he'll beat me to death. No, I, I saw the uh, the photo that you're talking about, yeah. and it does the suit does resemble the Andrew Garfield suit, but mm. also Spider-Man gets a new suit every movie. How do we know that's not his new suit for this movie? Uh, interesting. I mean, they have to sell new toys every single movie. Mm-hmm. So you know there's a suit design redesign coming up every film. Okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a, a, a nod to a past thing. It could mean Andrew's definitely in the movie, and, mm. and I'll be wrong. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong three times before breakfast, so you know that's it. You know, that's it. I'm I'm comfortable with my own idiocy. You know it's exactly. So it's our home plate zone. There, it's where we feel comfortable is in the wrong zone. There go we ahead. go. There we go. Okay, <laughs> moving on now. And again, I want to caution folks. This is the part where we talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and there will be spoilers. But I have to ask, what's your take so far? Where, where we are in the story? I'm so very excited for so many different things. I mean, in it was episode two where we got to meet Isaiah. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I instantly went, oh, my God, are they actually going to do uh, red, white, and black? Mm-hmm. The truth, red, white, and black. Uh, the storyline, because I remember that from it was very, very early 2000s, like yeah, uh, uh, one or two or something like that. I, actually, January to June of 2003. Uh, Three, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, back in in them old, good old days, I don't think the the fire of indignancy, like mm-hmm. oh, this is horrible, you know, when people spoke out, it didn't quite travel as fast mm-hmm. online because we didn't have as much social media. It was mm-hmm. mostly in comment sections where you'd read these mm-hmm. thoughts, and there was a lot of just flat out racist people mm-hmm. saying you can't have a black Captain America. How dare you? Mm-hmm. And then the series came out, and then there were a whole lot of people like, this is mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really needed this. And even though the character was treated very, very harshly, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, another one of those thought-provoking storylines that makes you... And just to quit, very quickly gloss over what the storyline is, mm-hmm. the fact that before Captain America was success, successfully created with Steve Rogers, mm-hmm. there were experiments 
done on the on the black population very much like the tuskegee tuskegee uh, airmen yeah. yeah 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 the the way that you know we just used human beings as lab rats mm-hmm. because you know the, of that instilled racism in the institution mm-hmm. and so it's necessary to tell those stories mm-hmm. so people are aware oh my god that really happened or you know obviously not the super soldier serum but it's taken from a real life thing mm-hmm. that so when you do investigate where did this story come from and you see it linked back to reality it's that much more horrifying isn't it i mean truly yeah yeah find out frankenstein's monster's a real damn thing mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that they're touching on subjects we shouldn't have today, like racism, but they're still touching on it because it needs to be touched on, apparently, because it hasn't devolved into oblivion. So we need to keep addressing it until it does devolve into oblivion. And this is Marvel's way of, of acknowledging that it still exists, even in their corner of the, the 616 universe. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, what I love is a serious story beat like that. You think about it, with each of these three episodes, we've had movie quality action scene. We had our, you know, yeah. Sam's mid-air rescue on, in, in, at the edge of Lib- Libyan airspace. Episode two, we had that amazing truck roof battle with the flag I, we, we do need to count how many truck roof battles we have had within the MCU, because that <laughs> seems to be a very popular staging ground for that yeah. stunt show. Okay, you're not wrong. If Disney were to build a stunt show in their park right now where people fight on a truck, yep. the audience would have to go, is this Winter Soldier? Is this... I mean, like, they've got three or four different movies that they could pick from by now where that could be set. To be entirely honest, I was about to cite the, the Sharon Carter brawl with all of the bounty hunters in that that freight yard, but how many of those did we see on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, that that was also kind of a go-to place to do a great fight scene. But but that doesn't take away from... That was, you know, an amazing fight scene. Emily uh, DeCamp, I want to say, did an amazing job, as did her, her, her stunt folks. And then let's talk about adding Baron Zemo to the mix. Watching this guy on screen, you can't trust him. Anything that he does... No, he's got that Loki quality of whatever yeah. he says is not is not trustworthy. So now let's cut to Sharon Hoodlum's mom's question, which the third episode was was called Power Broker. And we have our Sharon Carter character who she's been on the run all of this time and she ended up in uh Madripoor, I wanna say, which mm-hmm. that doesn't have an extradition treaty with the United States, so she, she's out of reach, so to speak. But this is a cynical, beaten-down Sharon, and given the way she exits episode three, our Sharon, Hoodlum's mom, flat-out asked, do we think that Sharon is the power broker? Initially, I said, no, I don't think so, because it was a... a- departure from how the power broker had been previously portrayed in comics. Mm-hmm. Not that that means anything in the MCU. They can change anything at all, and it, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't matter. Okay, They've got that fluid ability. And so setting that aside, I was like, but then would she want to go back to the, if she was the power broker, would she want to go back to the U.S.? Would she want her name cleared and leave all of that power behind just so she can go home? Mm-hmm. But... After rewatching that particular episode 
and seeing how she goes to remember they said there's lower Madripoor, which is the poor side, and then there's upper mm-hmm. Madripoor, which is the rich side. Yep. And she takes them from the low side to upside. Mm-hmm. And she's got a place full of art that, you know, they say that the fakes are in the Louvre mm-hmm. and the real ones are in places like this that are sold to criminals. Mm-hmm. And she's in charge of it. So, yeah, Hoodland's mom probably onto something there. Okay. Okay. Well, we have three more episodes and a couple other mysteries to clear up. I mean, we've, uh, we've established that Carly Mo- Morgenthal with the flag smashers who went from you know, noble, you know, getting food and supplies to people in, in refugee camps to blowing up a relief organi- organization. So it's hard to know who to trust at this point or, you know, who to, you know, sympathize with. I want to know if they're manipulating us by casting. That girl mm-hmm. uh, plays Enfys Nest in Solo, A yes, Star Wars Story. Yes, yeah. Who's like the, who was bad guy. Mm-hmm. Turn, we thought throughout the movie Solo that she was the bad guy, mm-hmm. but then it turns out she is the one of the founding members or a leader of a very, very young rebellion. Mm-hmm. And so we get that character switch of, oh, we thought it was bad guy, now she's good guy, and mm-hmm. now she's cast as bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if everyone's going, hey, wait a minute, isn't that the leader of the rebel? Oh, wait, wait a minute, how's this going to work? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that, and it is a brilliant bit of casting. Also, other questions, though? Plugging into uh, you know what Sharon was saying about the power broker. I mean, think about it. We had Selby in that meeting taken out by a sniper, and then minutes later, Sharon just shows up. So it's like, that's a coincidence? I don't know. The other thing that l- lends itself to uh, Hoodlamom's idea mm-hmm. is the fact that the show is called The Power Broker. Mm-hmm. Now, they do mention the character, but if the character's not actually physically introduced on screen, mm-hmm. I don't think it should be named The Power Broker as an episode. So my oh. belief would then lead to that they had to have shown The Power Broker on screen without mm-hmm. actually saying that they've shown The Power Broker on screen. And that does still lead into the, the hypothesis that it's Sharon. Okay. Okay. But again, Zemo, I love his prison break. I love that, you know, the whole casual, oh, by the way, I'm rich, I'm a baron, I have a plane. Since that character has entered the situation, like Bucky and Sam, I feel off balance. I also love the little callbacks to Civil War, like Sam in the backseat of the car. It's like, you're not going to move your seat up, are you? Oh, while we're talking about Madripoor and things of that nature, Madripoor is the hiding spot, the the island of refuge for mm-hmm. mutants. Mm-hmm. And thus far, we have not had any solid introductions to mutants per mm-hmm. se. But when we met Isaiah, mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, if he exists, because mm-hmm. his son is also going to end up being a character in the in the comics. His son, the guy that and the kid that answers the door mm-hmm. in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he ends up becoming a hero later on. Oh. And so I'm thinking, well, if it's passed now genetically, we have mm-hmm. a superhero, a super soldier that ends up having offspring. Mm-hmm. That might be the genetic mutation because that guy's been around long enough that we could have several generations pass, like you know, two or three. Mm-hmm. So if we have a couple generations pass of super soldiers, DNA being passed down, we could end up having something rather mutant-like today. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't been officially introduced yet. As a story idea, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how the X-Men are going to be brought in. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing things that are possible 
ways that they could lead into it. I just don't have anything solid yet. I'll keep my Sherlock magnifying glass peeled. No, no, no. I mean, I just, again, I love that, that your knowledge of the comic books and, and how you're able to apply it to the show and point out a character like, pay attention to him. He's important. So duly noted. And, and as long as we're talking comic books, we have talked at length on this show about Black Widow and, you know, Marvel's original plan for when this was going to be released and how it's going to launch Phase 4 and that sort of thing. And I'm reading a book right now inside the Disney marketing machine. It's a, a wonderful book written by Lorraine Santoli that talks about how Disney would put together these elaborate campaigns where all divisions of the company would work to promote a project. So, you know, that, that it, you know, it's front, you know, you cannot escape it. It's front of mind. And I think we've only briefly talked about the Black Widow comic book. I think it was written by Kelly Thompson, art by Elena Casagrande. This book got tripped up by the pandemic that was set up to help promote Black Widow. And when it became apparent that the pandemic was shutting down everything, Marvel cut a third of the titles they were going to start releasing in May and June. They announced they were doing this in April. Mm. And then, meanwhile, here's this, this book that's supposed to help launch this film and when they finally get it you know sorted out they they begin you know they're going to announce they're going to begin printing them in september to key off of the november release date of of the black widow which again doesn't happen and so this series of comic books kind of twists in the wind which is why i wanted to point out i just found on amazon that the collected series of these books it's called black widow volume one the ties that bind it's going to be released it's finally hitting store shelves on may 4th 2021 and the irony is they picked that date because remember before black widow got pushed off to july it was supposed to open on may 7th so i just wanted to talk this book up, I pre-ordered my copy because I feel like, you know, poor Kelly and Elena have been through hell. And, you know, and I hear it's a, it's a wonderful story. So that's worth checking out. And you, on the other hand, Aaron, you came across something else also that, that you wanted to talk up. And it's this amazing set of, of playing cards. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it came from uh, Theory 11, and magicians love really slick, smooth, fancy-looking playing cards, and back around Christmas time, they had released a massive set of Star Wars-themed playing cards, mm -hmm. which my wife had gotten for me for a gift, mm -hmm. and they are just gorgeous. The, the Star Wars ones, they had a red-backed, a blue-backed, white-backed and also black-backed, and some just incredibly gorgeous artwork for the kings and, and queens and the jacks, etc. And because of their popularity, uh, Theory 11 had decided to make the Marvel Infinity War deck, which encapsulates the entire saga from Iron Man on, on up. And... Uh, the the artwork is phenomenal. You can go to theory11.com to uh, see the artwork blown up, all beautiful. But if you like to play cards, 
if you're a magician and you like to manipulate cards, if you just like cool artwork about Marvel, it's only, I want to say, like a, a $10 for this deck of incredibly beautiful cards. That... Oh, wow, really? I didn't know that was the price point because when you talked about this, I went to the, the Theory 11 site and they are just crazy beautiful cards right down to the box that they're in. Yeah, they've also got a, a Mandalorian deck because mm -hmm. I know Mandalorian's been hot. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, one deck is nine ninety five. If you're, uh, you know, places like casinos and stuff, you know, and I don't know if it's going to be a casino, but you can mm -hmm. buy six decks for 10% off if mm -hmm. you like buying. And I know magicians, if they like a certain set of cards or a certain style of cards, they'll, they'll buy many, many stacks of those decks so mm -hmm. they can, you know, they're disposable. It's part of your show. It's part of your tax write-off at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But as far as people like, you know, I, I know friends that are just super avid poker lovers, mm -hmm. but they're also super avid Star Wars fans. And that's where you grab the Mandalorian deck or the Star Wars deck for 10 bucks. And they're like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in the entire planet of Earth. Mm -hmm. And so now that they've got this Marvel deck out and it's only 10 bucks, it's like if you, if you need that gift, mm-hmm. Because nobody else is thinking, I'm going to get him a deck of cards. That's the ticket. You know, you got you to gotta think a little differently. Mm -hmm. But if you know someone in your life and they just really, really enjoy, you know, playing card games or they really, really like Marvel in particular and they've got every collectible under the sun mm -hmm. and you just don't know what to get them, it doesn't matter what they're a fan of because it's got all the heroes in it, right? You know, it's got Spider-Man in there. So if you're a Spidey fan, here's your... Jack of hearts. I love the fact that the, the two jokers in the deck, one is Thanos and the other is Loki. You know, just, yeah. I, I just, I love that idea. The decks are just filled with touch, nuance, and style. Mm -hmm. And they're slick as snot on a doorknob. So <laughs> you know, that's pretty slick, Jim. That's, you know that? That's pretty slick. So, <laughs> all right. Speaking of Loki, what with the dropping of the, the trailer for that Loki limited series on Disney Plus? Just want to close out this week's show by sharing something I heard from a Marvel Studios insider. Interestingly enough, this has to do wow. with the movie version of Black Widow and the perception at Marvel Studios that the fans have been jerked around for 13 months. And the feeling now at Marvel Studios is through no fault of anybody at the studio, and it's not necessarily that this this Kate Shortland film is bad, but because of what's happened to Black Widow because of the pandemic, are we now dealing with the new mutants revisited? A film that, you know, has become something of a, a, a joke because of the number of times it's been rescheduled. So there have been questions within Disney and Marvel promotion department about, well, is this really a perception or are we just sort of navel gazing? But if it, it really is the perception that's out there, how do we turn this around? Or, or more to the point, in a world where, you know, WandaVision and a Falcon and the Winter Soldier are white hot and this ravenous appetite now for Marvel content, do we even bother? A Black Widow is going to come out on, on Disney Plus. It's going to have huge numbers. And do we really need to do something? And the interesting thing is wow. there's kind of this idea on the middle ground to the effect of, well, what if we do something just out ahead of Black Widow being released to theaters and showing up on Disney Plus as premium content? What if we do something just ahead of that? So again, you have to remember, as we were just talking earlier in the show, 
Loki first episode drops on June 11th. It has a six episode run. So Loki will be five episodes into its run by the time Black Widow debuts on July 9th. So the thinking is, could we do something special to link, you know, Loki to Black Widow during episode four, just sort of tease the fans, get them excited. So the very next week when Black Widow drops, they're talking about it. And so, and the beauty of it is, again, Loki is, is a crime thriller with a time travel variant. So they have some time now. So the notion is, could we create a, a relatively short scene where Loki steps into the world of the Black Widow film? And so I, I guess they're looking over the footage, they're talking about doing something green screen. I guess they're having conversations with Scarlett Johansson, who obviously... Hold up now. The, the idea is... Mm. In the trailer that that was released just yesterday, Mm -hmm. it has a shot where Loki is sitting down with Black Widow on Voromir. I mean, it it looks like they've already got Black Widow and Loki face-to-face in a scene that's in the trailer. Hmm. So they should already have done that unless they want to expound on that concept further. Okay. I don't, if they do, that's, that's fine. But my whole thing is, you know, you've got positive reinforcement, you know, Mm -hmm. Pavlov's dog. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows how that works. There's also negative reinforcement. Mm -hmm. If I say there's a treat in my hand 20 times and there's never been a treat in my hand, eventually the dog (laughs) is going to quit paying attention to me. Right. And so that's, what's happened here is like, I was interested in Black Widow a year ago, and they went, hey, we moved it just a couple of weeks. Hey, we moved it just a month. Hey, we moved it six months. Hey, we moved it a couple more weeks. Hey, we moved it another month. And now, through sheer negative reinforcement of moving it 15 times and being let down 15 times, or whatever the real number is, pardon Mm -hmm. my exaggeration, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I just don't care. And the the real problem is right now, Mm timing-wise... When it comes out in theaters, I'm only going to have one Fauci ouchie under my belt by that time out of two. So I won't have the full vaccine, so I can't go into a theater. I am paying for Disney Plus, but I absolutely refuse to play for Disney Plus Plus for that $30 fee to rent the movie one time when just in your most recent fine tuning with Drew Taylor, Mm -hmm. you had brought up the fact that was it Ray and the Last Dragon or some movie came out where you could rent it for $30 with the privilege, the mm. gold and platinum card of Disney Plus Plus. Mm. And then just a week or two later, they go, or you could just buy it for 20 on regular old digital video on-demand distribution. And also, let's not forget that as part of that version, you got the extra features with which included the cutscenes. But Exactly. So I'm not I'm not gonna be renting it on Disney Plus Plus when they make that available to me. I'm not gonna be safe to go into a theater. So I am gonna be waiting for the digital download to where I can purchase it and add it to my collection forever. And until then, I just don't care what they say. They could put flipping Dumbo flying through the trailer, and I just won't care okay. until it, it meets the requirements for me to be able to view it on my own terms, and that's video download. Okay, well, then th- th- let me throw just one last firecracker here on the pile. We just came off of WandaVision where we were waiting for that moment where things linked up. In fact, you know, remember all of that speculation about who was Vision, you know, going to act with this this actor that he'd always wanted to act with. And we're kind of seem to be repeating ourselves with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. In fact, the, the warrior from Wakanda 
who just appeared in the show. It just you know, the effect of, okay, you know, does that mean, are we going to see somebody else from Wakanda? But to sort of bring this full circle and chatting with my, my friend at, at Marvel Studios, they got talking about the fact that, you can remember, Feige kept talking about how the movies and the limited series on Disney Plus were going to link up and we're two shows in and this hasn't happened yet. Wouldn't it be cool with Loki if we finally did this? There is one little link that was noticed online. The eagle-eyed viewers. Oh okay. my goodness. If you put the world to a task, mm-hmm. they will find they will complete their mission. Okay. In the background, when they're at the Captain America Museum, mm-hmm. if you squint real hard, pause at the right time, in the background montage of images of Cap that they have up, mm-hmm. they have a photograph of like a, a news headline photograph of when he has the the taxi door and he uses that in as a shield in the very, very early stages of the very first Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. And then someone went and took a screenshot of Captain America, the first Avenger during that scene. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a photographer taking a picture of him grabbing the door and using it as a shield. That's kind of at the right perspective. So when it ends up as a museum exhibit Mm -hmm. in Falcon and the winter soldier, it links up perfectly to that very first instant of Captain Steve Rogers appearing on the street in a t-shirt and tight, tight pants because he grew three inches too big. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, yeah, again. it's, it's well, really kind of cool. Those those little, little itty bitty details for mm-hmm. if you want to spend, you know, the hours doing the Zapruder routine with the magnifying glass, mm-hmm. Marvel will reward you for your efforts. Oh. Well, now I have to go back and look at episode one. Okay, well, want to thank you for for you know listening this week. I also want to thank Hoodlum's mom for sending us down the the Sharon Carter rabbit hole, and she wins our Sherlock Award of the Week worth three <laughs> marvelous Disney cool points. Remember, marvelous Disney cool points have no actual value and can be traded in for absolutely nothing. Enjoy your bragging rights. Ding ding ding. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Aaron and I will be back after the next two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and and hopefully we'll we'll figure out who's who at that point. But until then, if you're looking for for stuff to listen to, we do a number of other uh, podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We've got Disney Dish with Len Testa. We've got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. And have been working on several fun stories for our Universal Joint Show. Likewise, I want that. So those will be coming along soon. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review Marvelous Disney. If you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. But if anybody has any additional information about Andrew Garfield t-shirts <laughs> or, or Toby McGuire's, you know, Spanish, you know, voice recorder. Uh, sure. Send them along. I'm, I'm always trying to convince Aaron. I'm, I might be right about this. You know, I, I, it's a long shot at this point, but I might be right. 